0: Welcome to We the Women. This is our celebration of the 19th Amendment. Exactly 100 years ago, on August 18th, 1920, the 19th Amendment was ratified, giving women the right to vote. To celebrate, we'll be talking to women from around South Carolina, thought leaders, movers and shakers. We'll ask them about how they have used their voice and what they have done to contribute to our great democracy. Enjoy the conversation. In this episode, Post and Courier education reporter Jenna Schifferl interviews Dr. Jerita Postelweight, Superintendent of Charleston County School District. Uh, so we're joined today by Charleston County School District Superintendent Jerita Postelweight. Um, I can't thank you enough for uh, taking time out of your day, your very busy day, especially uh, <laughs> recently, um, to talk with me. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Jenna. Um, so, obviously, the reason that we're doing this, uh, this project is to talk to um, influential uh, leaders in the Charleston area, specifically uh, female leaders, about their experiences um, as we approach um, the anniversary of the 100th, um, 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. Um, so, I would just kind of like to open it up, as I've done for a lot of these, and ask you, what does that mean to you when you when you reflect on your life and when you reflect on uh, the 100th anniversary, um, what do you think about it, and um, what does it mean to
1: you? Yeah, I think it's really important to pause and um, to be intentional about um, recalling the struggles that others went through in order for us to have these opportunities, because frankly, um, if if someone hadn't pointed out that this is the 100th anniversary, I wouldn't have stopped to think think through what what opportunities I have that others haven't had. So, Um, it causes me to think about the opportunities that we have today to make changes that will have the same magnitude of significance for um, young girls, uh, uh, people who have been disenfranchised, who live at the margins, who haven't been able to participate in the mainstream. Um, So I I find it both um, humbling and motivating. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, And you've been in education for a long time I have You've, this is your fifth year uh superintendent I think of Charleston County School District right if I'm wrong, right um, but you also served uh for a, quite a long time as superintendent in Horry County right and you know, there's more you know that's what stands out but um
1: what made you first uh
0: interested in going down this career path and, and what's mm. your about pursuing education
1: yeah I can um so I I um I planned a different career and um, my husband was in the military, he was deployed. And so I taught school for a year and I absolutely fell in love with it. And um, I enjoyed teaching school. My husband moved fairly frequently. So we, when we moved, I needed to find um, another job. It meant I taught at different levels in the school system. I had a chance to observe lots of different leadership styles in different cultures and contexts. Um, and I always thought as a teacher that there were surely better ways to do some of these things that trickled down to the classroom. So then I was at the school leadership level and I thought, my goodness, surely there's a better way to organize these responsibilities so that schools have a little more autonomy. And then I got to the superintendent level. I worked my way um in different positions in the in the district office, and in the 80s, was offered a position as the uh, superintendent, and I realized um, then what it means to be part of a of a bureaucracy, of a subsystem, a, a system of subsystems, um, and how um, irre- irrevocably complex um, all of the interlocking decisions and decision makers are. Uh, so I'm still searching for how in the world we create the kinds of conditions that great teachers deserve.
0: So you said you, kind of, you that you ended up in this role, but you were a teacher to begin with. I was. Did you grow up going, wanting to be a teacher? Did you go to school to be, to be a teacher? And then you kind of found yourself now in these leadership roles. Is that, what was your game plan kind of always going to be a teacher?
1: Or did you even fall into
0: that position?
1: You planned something else. Um, so I majored in political science. Um, my grandfather thought that that wasn't a wise choice. He wasn't sure that one could do something. And in those days, we went to college for four years and we got out in four years. That was the deal if we were fortunate enough to go. Um, and so he suggested I major in education as well as whatever else I wanted to major in. And, and that then created the opportunity that was just readily available when I was waiting for my husband to get back from um, deployment overseas.
0: Okay. Um how do you think uh since you've been a teacher before uh, and you oversee a school district now, um what's the biggest change in education um since you since you were in the classroom mm-hmm. that stands out to you?
1: So there are a lot of changes. Um, but I would say the one that I find most painful is the amount of respect that I had as a teacher when I first started teaching. And the amount of respect that I often sense that our teachers receive today, you know, the pay has always been low, the working conditions challenging, um, but the 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 value of teachers um, perhaps hasn't changed. But the perception is certainly that it's changed a great deal. I, I did not endure the kind of um, Unprofessional and discourteous treatment that I see a lot of our teachers go through when they make a particularly difficult decision. Um, Wow,
0: that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it in that way, and I wonder uh, what contributed to that. Is maybe it's this this culture of social media where everyone can have a, a platform and be critical, or I, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's an answer. Yeah. But, um, I'm the daughter to South Carolina educators. Um, so I do, they have also faced <laughs> some of the challenges that, that you've mentioned. Yeah. But they've been in the business for a long time. Yeah, They love what they do, so it's its worth it to them.
1: Now, I think another big change that uh, should be mentioned is this, um, the focus on the um, achievement tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first started teaching, we had achievement tests, and we used those tests to try to decide what we had taught well, what we needed to teach better, and which, as children moved on, uh, which children needed what skills retaught. Uh, but there wasn't the, the, the sort of um, pressure on the whole system around uh, once-a-year achievement tests that exists today. I hope that that part gets better over time as people begin to see that achievement tests aren't actually measuring well um, all of the rich human interactions that occur between teachers and children.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. That's certainly something that's been coming into conversation lately when uh, we talk about the pandemic. And uh, I feel like a lot of teachers have said that if you, we didn't have to do, they're talking about standardized tests in general at the end of the year. that whole, it takes up, they, they say it takes up a lot of their time. So there's kind of been a push we've seen, especially in the context of the pandemic when so much time was lost. Um, teachers are saying this is more crucial than ever. And we'll have to kind of wait to see if we get the waivers. Right. <laughs> um, uh, I think I've read that you, you went to West Virginia University.
1: I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, did you grow up in West Virginia? Um, um, I, Virginia? I was graduated from high school in West Virginia and, um, uh, was uh, enamored with an athlete who was going to go to school in West Virginia. So um, that's the choice I made at the time. And I had a really great experience there. I had um, professors from um, all over the country who were, I felt, uh, really Quite demanding. I've read that sometimes that school's been rated as a party school. Um, I, I, I must say I never found that to be the case, <laughs> but yes, I did.
0: The Intertech Group and the Zucker family are proud to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the 19th
1: Amendment.
0: What, what do you remember about um, your early years going to school in West Virginia? I mean, still, um, I would part of the southeast how do you think it's different from uh how the education system kind of works here in south carolina or i don't
1: know if you could say that yeah, cause I'm a child going through the yeah. System, so i i remember um feeling loved and cared for by teachers i remember um teachers having high expectations i remember my parents having extraordinarily high expectations and um and um that all—all all being a fabric, a part of the community, the social events of the community were often organized around the school. That's where most of the opportunities existed. Um, there weren't a lot of um, chances for children to have dance or um, or private drama or art lessons or um, participate in very many clubs outside of school. So the school was the social hub of the community when I was growing up. I think that's probably true across the country. Whereas today, families are pulled in so many different directions because there's just so much to do. And many parents feel pressured to get their child into everything and through everything. (laughs)
0: Um, I also wanted to ask, because we've been talking about the pandemic, um, we've been mm-hmm. jumping around a little bit between yeah. your life and, and what you do now, but they're they're connected. Um, and when we talk about the pandemic, um, I mean, the school district has, all school districts have monumental challenge ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone knows, you know, it's not gonna be easy and there are no perfect answers. Right. I think that is kind of where we're at, right. certainly. Um, but I remember just from my, my previous reporting is that even before the pandemic, uh, Charleston County Schools were were poised to undergo some really big changes mm-hmm. this school year, anyways. Mm-hmm. And these are ones that are, were finalized at the end of last year, not without um, some pushback um, right. from parents who were who were um, pretty passionate on both sides. Right. So I was really curious when when I sat down with you. I wanted to talk about how is the district grappling with these two. Big things, the pandemic, as well as all these changes that the district made, with the effort to, you know, behind all of them is to try and improve outcomes for some of the students who are just not doing as well as their peers to increase diversity and equity um, for all students.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Those are changes that, you know, you've said uh, uh, time and time again can't wait. You know, we needed to make them and we need to make them now but now you're, you you have a global pandemic on your hands that, mm-hmm. and, and learning loss and all of these things. Are you worried, uh, that because of that, you know, some of the changes that might overshadow some of the hard work that was put into making, uh, these controversial changes a while back and, um, how do, how are those intersecting now when you, when you look at uh, where the school district is,
1: is going moving forward? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really interesting question. I, um, for the most part, the major changes that the board was attempting to make um, have been put in place. We were able to get most of that work done. Um, and the interesting thing is that um, the, the, the disagreements, that the discourse that we were engaged in with the community around which approach might be um, better, um, paled in comparison to the common challenge we all face now with COVID-19. So I think as we all reflect on the, the, the debates we were having in November, December, January, we realized that those were pretty minor in comparison to the challenges we now face. So in some ways, um, the work has been delayed a little. In other ways, the the need for the work has been magnified um, because we see just split open for everyone to view the events of the past four or five months have helped everyone see the extent of the inequity that exists, um, the injustice that we still sometimes unknowingly but often unknowingly or unwittingly live with or are part of. So I, I honestly believe that in the end, Um, The need for the changes is more visible to everyone, but the challenges of addressing the problems are now exacerbated.
0: Absolutely. Um, We've talked about this before, and I I know there is no easy answer, but I'm curious if you've thought about, uh, you know, as someone who's been here for five years, but a lot of these problems have existed, you know, long before that. Do you ever think to yourself, how do we get here? How do we get to the point where we know that some students are not being served as well as their peers and what contributes to that? And that's a really hard question, I know, nope. but I'm curious where do you think um, that, we, the, that happened, I guess, along the line?
1: Yeah, I find it an interesting question. Um, you know, history tells us that from the beginning of time, wherever one wants to mark that beginning, um, things were never equal. They were never fair for everyone. There was never a time when all Americans were well-educated, if we wanted to just take our own country. We have these these um, remembrances of these halcyon days that weren't actually ideal for everyone. And perhaps everyone with whom we went to school was doing fairly well, but everyone wasn't in school. And so it's not as if we had the ideal... Um, solutions that we lost somewhere along the way, I think that we were grappling with how to bring more opportunities to people in an ever-changing society. We're moving from um, an industrial age to an information age where everyone needs to be able to think well um, in order for our country to stay globally competitive and in order for our people to have um, a, a standard of living that's acceptable to them and to, the, to our society as a whole, in terms of what we say we value. So um, I, I think it's just a matter of it's, it's our turn now to pick up the torch and carry it as far as we can, um, but there are no easy solutions. If there were, um, they would have been found by the really clever and hardworking people who came before us. So I see it as, as a living in a period of time where you have an opportunity, to continue the journey others started. And hopefully when you stop, you'll have moved the the marker a bit. Feel good about getting a great haircut with the Great Care Promise at Great Clips. Our
0: commitment to helping keep everyone as safe as possible in the salon. Check in online today. Great Clips, it's gonna be great. All salons are independently owned and operated. Contact your local salon for specific safety measures. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, especially when you take a a historical um, approach You know, nothing was created in the vacuum, and you know we're we're here for a reason, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, Right. I, especially going off that, um, especially curious to hear your thoughts on. We are living, you know, (laughs) history right now for a myriad of reasons: the pandemic, um, but also this this level of national civil unrest um, over the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. the hands of police. So, um, I'm curious. How do you, as an educator, and as someone who's oversees education, how does that connect? And because I think some of the frustrations that people have seen are the ones that you, you know, we acknowledge that, that education is not always equal uh, for white and black students. And so, um, how do you grapple with that as an educator? Is it is it um, a matter of changing the way things are taught, or is it this is or is your task to, to do exactly what you tried to do last year and make some of these changes. Um, I don't know if that was actually a well-worded question, but it's like a lot to unpack there. And education does play some role in it, I think.
1: I think we do. I think that our, our key role as public education is to repair citizens, all citizens, all people, not just citizens these days, but to repair the American people to participate successfully in the Democratic Republic. And um, there are lots of facets of that role. Um, so having decent human beings, um, kind human beings, human beings with, who share core values um, are, is as important as making sure that human beings have the, the skills and the problem-solving abilities that are essential in such a complex world. Um, so I think that p- part of the answer is it's, it's always been our core mission. The um, both the heartbreaking uh, realization that we've had uh, this summer, uh, and the opportunities that 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 um, the painful situations with with which people are dealing have presented, um, is that more than ever, people realize that we have to get this right. We have to examine our own biases. We have to take seriously um, our own uh, commitment to be culturally competent, to realize that all of us come to um, the work with preconceived notions that may be wrong and that we bring those notions into the classroom with us. And we know enough today from brain science to know that children engage first because they have an emotional reason to do so. Um, perhaps they have a goal they want to reach or they feel a relationship with the adult in the room and they want to please. But but there's there's that feeling of belonging and being valued that's at the heart of teaching anyone or helping anyone to learn anything. and. Um, That's not a really precise answer, but it's my reflection on the opportunity that lies before us. Um, And I think combined with the school closures, um, it's coming at a time when virtually everyone has a deeper appreciation for what school teachers do every day and how important it is to get that back online just as safely as we can do so. Um, while changing some of the ways that we, um, we respond to children and that we prepare for them. They're not um, fodder going through a, 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 an assembly line. We, we've got to find ways to respond more um, um, appropriately uh, and simply offering 180 days of instruction a year. Mm-hmm delivered in a particular way is not going to get us there. When we come out on the other side of COVID-19, we're going to have to rethink a lot of pieces of our system. There are some children who deserve uh, more education. They deserve more time with teachers. They deserve more supports. And that's the direction in which our board was headed. How do we find fair and yet make sure we honor uh, all the students who are in the system and the hard work that parents have done um, at every level of the organization so
0: it sounds like so even um, it's just going to be a period of change we had these changes approved um, in December before all this happened we have the pandemic and right now it's it's almost you get the feeling like we're just trying to stay afloat right now you're trying to just make sure we get kids back as soon as we can safely um, but then it sounds like you know when you think ahead, the pandemic's not going to last forever. Right. um It might take a while, but right. whenever we get past that, on the other side of the, the tunnel, um, it sounds like there's going to be more changes that need to be made. Ones that might not be easy if we got the same reaction uh, that we did in December. Um, right. But I, that's interesting to hear that you, you know, thinking ahead that far down the line, it's like we're going to have to kind of do a, a whole reevaluation of the system. And, how it works. And that might need more changes. And I
1: think that's what the crisis gives us an opportunity to do. It has disrupted the system as we knew it. So shame on us if we put it back precisely as it was with the inequities built into it. Mm -hmm. It's an opportunity to make some changes that people won't find so disquieting because the system has already been disrupted in unthinkable ways, in ways that were unthinkable to us uh, a year ago and are, are probably... Um, nothing compared to what some generations before us have faced.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know if you can speak to this, but uh, do we know if some of the changes, what do we know about some of the changes that we approved in December? Um, how they worked or from based on what we know so far? Um, at least some of them. I don't know if you can judge all of them yet, but initially at least, are you optimistic that
1: I am. So, some worked. Um, we know we have early evidence that uh, some of the changes that the board made uh, regarding um, the selection of students or the opportunity for students to participate in um, particular programs worked really well, whereas um, others didn't. At the high school level, it's uh, we learned it's late to make changes to open up opportunities if we haven't prepared children really well in elementary and middle it's difficult for them to take advantage of opportunities when you open the door uh, at the high school if you haven't um, raised the, the floor as you've you know, lifted the ceiling. Um, we know that, uh, that some of the um, changes that we've made in curricular approaches or adding uh, counselors uh, uh, social emotional supports for children are working really well we know the investments uh, in some additional staff have worked extremely well but it's early days and uh, we'll have to see longer term and that's where the kinds of assessments that are useful to teachers and educators are critically important and, and we we weren't even able to do the assessments that are useful to us let alone those that policymakers need. You. Yeah I, I don't envy
0: you right now to get <laughs> the <laughs> business that you're in is really really tough
1: and it is tough people, thanks
0: uh looking to you for guidance and i don't think any one of us knows all the answers um but yeah. you know i, I just right. it's this is a wild time to, it is to, to be leading in school right now so um you know i think a lot of parents recognize that and even if they don't agree with the choices that are being made they they recognize that you, know, you have a really really tough job at the moment um for sure. Um, I wanted to sort of circle back. Um, we, I got sidetracked side because I like talking to you <laughs> about education. That's I'm passionate about as well. um, but I always kind of want to circle back to, uh, you know, why you're here and, and this project. Um, when I think about education, uh, you know, it, it seems to be almost like it's a, a female-oriented or female-dominated career. There's a lot of teachers that I have growing up for women. I think that that ratio is slowly starting to shift. Um, But do you think that um, your gender played a role in your trajectory and how you got here? Do you think it created any challenges or any obstacles for you or any uh, advantages, I guess? I don't know. I'm I'm curious to spend time to reflect um, just when we're talking about this context of uh, the right to vote and giving women the the power come a long way. Um, i be curious if
1: you thought about it, how it might have impacted your life. So I've never really given it much thought. Um, um, I was just really fortunate to grow up in circumstances where it didn't occur to me that I couldn't do whatever um, job needed to be done. I, I grew up in a family that emphasized work ethic. They emphasized service to others. They emphasized doing one's best. Um, um, and apparently teachers, um, the um, professors, the early administrators I worked for as a teacher never made gender an issue. So it just didn't occur to me, really, ever, um, that gender was an issue or it should be an issue. Now, after I became a superintendent and attending my first national conference, I realized there were almost no women there. So I did some research, and across the country, there were about 17,000 school districts at that time. Um, 2% of those school districts were led by women and 98% by men. Um, so I think that what happened at one time, this is my own conjecture, not based on research, but um, uh, women and women, and, uh, uh, and other minorities um, were had two ways into the workforce: that um, through um, uh, through medicine as nurses, or through um, education as teachers. Or f- um, you know, the ministry hadn't opened up um, much to women yet, and so the teaching force at that time was dominated by these incredibly capable women who um, were so talented and could have done any number of other things, but society wasn't necessarily thinking in those terms uh, for, or most women weren't thinking in those terms at that time. Plus, um, eventually, when teachers were allowed to teach and be pregnant, at one time they had to quit when, uh, when they became pregnant. But after teachers were able to teach and have children, uh, it was a, a good profession that allowed one to combine uh, motherhood and uh, and uh, working. So there were lots of women in the profession, very few of them were administrators, but I, I ha- if I noticed that, I didn't, I don't recall. I worked, I was really inspired by a woman principal that I had, when I worked in the inner city of Pittsburgh in a school that was um, organized for children who didn't do well in public schools, the, um, the 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 principal of that school was a woman. And she was just so inspiring at the way she solved problems or was thoughtful, listened to everyone. And I think that's when it first occurred to me that m- maybe that was something that I could do as well. So... Um, it was that experience with her as a role model, along with my never, ever having been told that there were any limitations, um, and my conviction that surely there was a better way to organize these these um, decisions that classroom teachers were having to uh, start the day with uh, that caused me to uh, get a master's in education administration. So... One of the last questions that
0: I wanted to to ask you as we reflect um, on the 19th Amendment and on all of these other things that we, gender and uh, being a woman of power, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on something that I've kind of reflected on that we hear sometimes in the media or we hear if we're talking to a colleague. Um, A lot of women have said uh, recently, you know, that they feel like maybe because of their gender, if they're trying to take on a, a role of power in their workplace, they feel like they are more likely um, to criticize or to be called bossy, compared to um, maybe a man in a similar position would be called taking charge. Um, and so there's this, almost seems to be a double standard for women of power sometimes. Um, and I say recently, because I think a lot of times women have more become comfortable sort of speaking out about it and sharing their experiences. Um,
1: so I'm curious,
0: if, if that's something that you've thought about um, because I know with some of these hard decisions that have been made, there has been vocal critics um, and I just, as well as local supporters as well, but curious if, if you've thought about that at all and I, I hope it hasn't, you know, you haven't felt that way, but especially I just wanted to ask considering this mm-hmm. this relevant conversation that we're having right? Like of, and it can be awkward about gender and, and the role that it plays, I suppose. Do you feel like that um, is the case for you or or?
1: Have you felt that way before? Um so I would say two things about that. One, um, when when you look around and find that you've been given an opportunity to do things that that others who are like you haven't been given, you feel a responsibility to, to do it really well, not to let people down. And so I don't know that you know sometimes we say we have to work harder. I I'd never felt I had to work harder. I just didn't want to let people down once they'd given me a chance to do something. I'm not sure that that was associated with gender. And um, I've been uh, around a, a long time. Um, I've been in education 50 some years and it is dealing with other people's children is hard. It's you're hitting people's hearts every single time you suggest making a change. And I personally can't say that I've seen um, women being treated any worse than I've seen men treated who try to make changes to a system that that favors some children over other children. And if you are coming from a household that's favored, you're often not even aware how much the system is working in your favor until someone suggests changing it. Um, and so I understand the re- I almost always understand the responses Sometimes the criticism is unwarranted and comes from a place I can't understand and don't want to spend much time thinking about, but I have not ever honestly felt as though it was gender-related. Um, or, or if I have, I don't recall it now, but no, I think it just comes with the territory. When you're trying to change social institutions that have worked really well for some people and not well at all for others, and you're upsetting the the... The equilibrium, um, there there are bound to be people, both those for whom you're trying to make things better and those who fear their children might be disadvantaged by any changes you're making, who are upset, and it, it simply goes with the job. So change is hard. If it weren't that hard and uncomfortable, if people didn't make you miserable, um Um, It would have happened a long time ago. It just takes a lot of courage. And I think that the the thing that people don't understand about leaders is how much stamina it takes, how much determination, how much we have to be sensitive to other people's needs, but tough as nails when it comes to our core principles and values and, and, um, and the clarity around what it is we're trying to do for whom um, at what cost? So, I don't think for me that that's been gender related.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for, for taking time out of your day to speak with me. Is there anything else that, uh, I didn't ask that you want to end on or that you want to cover? Or I hope you kind of run the gambit. And, but you're welcome if you wanted to add anything <laughs> else.
1: Thank you. I, I I really can't think of anything. I am just an ordinary person and I, I really am often. Um, sort of nonplussed uh, with interview questions, because I'm not quite sure how to answer myself. I, I just am the most common, ordinary person. I don't, I'm not very interesting at all. I just love what I do, and I hope that comes through ultimately. And even at the end of all the controversy, people can say, well, we never doubted her sincerity. <laughs> Absolutely. Well,
0: thank you so much again. Um, I really do appreciate your time. And it was great thank to you. More about you.
1: Thanks. So. It was really, uh, I had no idea your parents were both educators. Yeah. 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 So, well, thank you. Well, it explains why you're such a quick study oh. on so many things. <laughs>
0: Have you ever had to wait three days for someone to service your copier? Does your office furniture belong in a museum? Are your meetings being disrupted by poorly installed and overly complicated conferencing and AV equipment? The Office People is proud to be the largest local provider of office technology, conferencing systems, visual equipment, and office interiors in the Carolinas. We believe that locals do it better. Contact The Office People, the source for all your office needs.
1: We the Women is a special series of the Post and Courier in celebration of the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. To enjoy all 19 interviews, visit postandcourier.com backslash we the women.